This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. The not quite prime ministers, leaders of the opposition, 18, sorry, 1783 uh, to 2020 is a new book by Nigel Fletcher, looking at those who didn't quite make it up the slippery slope and to the top office of the land. Delighted to be joining me uh, live from the UK, the aforementioned author, uh, Nigel Fletcher. Nigel, good morning to you. Good morning. Great to be with you. Thank you very much for joining us. It really is. It's an interesting one. It's because we always talk about prime ministers and, you know, what they got up to and whether they were good, bad, indifferent or long lasting or not the shelf life of a, of a you know what. Uh, but this is a different study. And, and in some cases, leaders of the opposition uh, can be those figures that you think, well, they could they would have made good prime ministers or they should have made good prime ministers. Yes. And, and the reason for writing it really is that, um, I've made sort of opposition a bit of a sort of academic speciality or sad obsession, which, whichever way you want to look at it. Um, because if you look at sort of the political literature, there's thousands of books about government and about prime ministers. Um, you know, you just look on sort of Amazon and look at all the books there are on different prime ministers or on compilations of uh, biographies of prime ministers. Um, but it's really just the difference between sort of, you know, a few votes here here or there between who becomes prime minister and doesn't. Um, and leaders of the opposition always get, you know, a very bad lot, even if they were quite successful. People forget they were sort of leader of the opposition. So it's really quite sort of um, difficult to get a lot of information on them. But um, what I think is really interesting about sort of the the, the ones who didn't quite make it um, is exactly what you say. It's like, you know, the they are people who are quite interesting um and they've they've lived usually quite interesting lives themselves had sort of interesting political achievements um and what is it that meant that they didn't quite make that final step to become prime minister and it can be it could be a variety of factions of 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 factions of course and 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 not only that they could have had sort of stellar careers leading up to be the next the next big thing i mean i'm thinking within sort of my living memory which normally this time is about about from monday but but basically within living memory i'm thinking about you know the kinnocks i'm thinking about yes. you know michael foot who was you know people seem to think he was this mad old duffer in a, in a you know in a, in a, in a bad fitting coat but you know his career up to then was something else you know tragically john smith of course who was has been mm. the greatly the greatest prime minister we never had quote unquote as people will say that uh, when it comes to john because obviously his tragic death so, you know, it's it's not a case of they didn't have the intellectual capacity to be or didn't have the gravitas needed. No. And uh, the ones you mentioned, you know, in, in more recent history, when you've got sort of Neil Kinnock and uh, and uh, people like that, who you, you know um, would uh, have stood a fairly good chance of becoming prime minister. What I think is extraordinary about Kinnock is that in 83, he inherited a Labour Party that was on the floor. Mm. You know, it was in danger of being overtaken by uh, the um, SDP Liberal Alliance in the, in the 83 election. Um, and, you know, it really was facing extinction. And then you fast forward nine 
nine years. And uh, in 1992, he was expected to become the next prime minister. There's the famous Sheffield rally where he was introduced yeah. as the, you know, the next prime minister. And, um, you know, he, he didn't become prime minister and he's quite self-critical about the fact that, you know, people couldn't see him in that job. And that's possibly why they wavered at the ballot box. Um, but, you know, it, it remains true that the Labour Party at that election was the odds on favourite to win at the start of the campaign. And that's an extraordinary turnaround. So I think that what the, the sort of the stories in the book tell me is that actually winning an election and becoming prime minister is obviously the ultimate objective in politics. But actually, it's not the only mark of success. William Hague, another one who didn't become prime minister and actually didn't do very well in the election in 2001 either, um, he says that he, uh, in his words, he worked the night shift uh, in opposition. Someone had to do it. After the Conservatives went down to that huge defeat in 97, somebody had to pick the party up and start sort of doing the, the kind of rather unglamorous job of rebuilding the structures and all of that sort of stuff. And he made very little progress electorally um, in 2001, but he laid the groundwork for uh, other leaders to come along afterwards. And I think that's an important job as well. Um, and actually, that goes all the way back. You know, you look in the 19th century, there were lots of leaders who um, focused on on the electoral machinery as well as the politics. And perhaps that's something that, that, that we don't appreciate. We just think, oh, they're in there and they're playing, they're playing, if you like, this dress rehearsal, they're playing the party game. What if? So when you have a, you know, a shadow cabinet reshuffle, you go, mm-hmm, so what? Um, but in yeah. fact, there is that rebuilding. There is putting the groundwork in. Yes. And also there's the job of, of uh, opposing the government and scrutinising them. So I think opposition matters for two main reasons. You've got the the one about being the alternative government. People look at you and think, well, you know, what are they going to do if and when they become uh, the government? But there's also the job of actually scrutinising the government in the House of Commons on a daily basis. Someone's got to do that as well. So I think that, you know, you can look at other countries where you don't have this idea that the person scrutinising is also going to be the alternative. Uh, in America, you know, there's no expectation that the um, the sort of minority party uh, in Congress or the, the, the opposite party to the president, you, there's no expectation that their leader will necessarily be the, the candidate for president. In the UK, we've got this strange sort of mixture, really, um, of the party that is scrutinising the government daily on a, on a daily basis in the House of Commons is also the party that's also trying to replace them and their leader is the alternative prime minister. So it's those two roles and you see people kind of trying to juggle um, firstly attacking the government and kind of putting out press releases and, and doing all that stuff um, and at the same time trying to actually be quite responsible because they've got to say, well, when we are the government, we've got to do things um, quite carefully. It's a problem that Keir Starmer's having right now. You know, he's got lots of demands of, you, you might say he's got quite a few open goals, you know, being being faced um, with the government making lots of mistakes and, and having lots of difficulties. But he's also got to be careful that he doesn't make promises that he's not going to be able to keep. And also you've got to be going through history because this one goes back, as I, as I said, I, I misquoted from 1783 at the beginning. Yeah. But you've got to be, you've got to be careful because at a time of national emergency or national crisis or conflict, you've got to hit the right note. You can't be seen as almost siding with the enemy. So there's got to be some situations, obviously, where you have mm. to, you know, take one for the team or take one for the country. 
Yes, and uh, that also goes all the way back. It's it's this idea of what we call in this country now loyal opposition, that you are opposing the government, that you are trying to get rid of them uh, and replace them, but you're doing so within the basis of a constitution. You are accepting that parliamentary democracy is the framework in which you do that, and also you have loyalty to the crown and to the constitution. So, you know, the, the leader of the opposition is often called the leader of His Majesty's loyal opposition. Um, they're recognised as being a sort of an important constitutional office. Um, but that, as you say, it goes all the way back to the beginning. Um, I mean, Charles James Fox, the first one in the book, who was quite a colourful character, um, one of the reasons he, <clears throat> reasons he didn't become Prime Minister was because he and George III hated each other. Uh, and at the, in those days, um, the King had a quite important role in politics. So that, that sort of rather stopped him from becoming Prime Minister. Um, but other leaders, as you say, there are times, uh, I, I've, I've just been, um, looking again at the chapter about um, the leader, uh, George Ponsonby, who was leader when Spencer Percival, the Prime Minister, was assassinated uh, in the Commons. Um, and Ponsonby, he was a fairly unimpressive leader, it has to be said. Um, his speeches weren't exactly box office. Um, but the one speech that went down really well was the one he made in the wake of that assassination, where he um, spoke very movingly about the fact that although he he opposed the Prime Minister, he thought he was a very good man and, uh, and was expressing his sympathies. So yeah, there are those moments, and wartime is another, where the opposition has has to try and uh, temper their their instinct to attack the government and try and uh, be a bit more responsible. I mean, looking again, looking at perhaps more modern or more modern times, there are you know there are those that you might think are completely unelectable. I mean, I don't, I don't mean to double down on on Jeremy Corbyn, but it was a, it was a brave it was a brave move, and, and unfortunately, it, it did kind of mark another sort of ground zero in terms of, of Labour Party politics. Yes, I mean, Corbyn is, is a fascinating character in, in many ways, but I mean, as, a, as an opposition leader, he also has a huge amount of sort of um, baggage with him because he saw himself very much as being the representative um, of the membership of the Labour Party. That's where he was elected, that's where he got his support from, um, rather than as the representative of the Parliamentary Labour Party in Parliament. And so you have this uh, this kind of conflict between the sort of extra-parliamentary uh, activism role and the parliamentary role. Um, but that also goes all the way back. As I say, you know, Fox was also speaking at rallies outside Parliament and rallying sort of um, the mob to petition Parliament. Um, and those days, um, lots of people didn't have the vote. And so, you know, getting the people to actually come out on the streets and, and protest was quite a, a potent thing. Um, but, you know, when Corbyn uh, sort of took that route and was speaking on demos, he was criticised quite heavily for that because that wasn't seen as being the constitutional role of the leader. You know, you're supposed to speak in Parliament and you're supposed to ask questions there, not go and sort of, you know, yeah, lead but, marches. But Glastonbury, I mean, come on. You know, if, you, <laughs> <laughs> if you get the main yeah. stage at Glastonbury, you're going to yeah, go I mean, for it. Exactly. And, you know, when I was writing that chapter on him, it's quite, you know, try, how do you sort of um, encapsulate not only his whole life, but also his whole leadership within sort of a fairly, you know, short chapter. Um, and But the high point, as you say, was Glastonbury. I think that will go down in sort of, you know, political folklore, because, you know, that was in the wake of the you know 2016 um, referendum. He was then riding high and actually, you know, leading into then the 2017 um, election, uh, where he did surprisingly well, um, you know, it quelled the uh, the, the 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 revolt in the Labour Party, 
um, against his leadership. And he's fascinating. You know, he's, he's somebody who sort of had this, you know, very surprisingly good election in 2017, although of course he still lost. Um, and then in 2019 led the Labour Party to its worst defeat since 1935. So he's sort of covered both bases in terms of being, you know, better than expected and pretty much, you know, either worse than expected or, or as expected if you're not a fan of his. But, um, but this idea of being a, you know, leader of the loyal opposition also, um, was a problem for him. Um, you know, a, a well-known Republican, somebody who was very anti-establishment. Uh, and there was coverage right from the very beginning of, you know, would he kneel before the Queen to be made a member of the Privy Council and, and all of those sorts of things. So, you know, he is a fascinating, um, character. Um, and, you know, he's not alone in being, uh, not entirely successful in the job either. Mm. we? I mean, when you look at perhaps because 18th century, 19th century political Britain is, is perhaps a little more colourful, I'm thinking of the, <laughs> the Palmerstons, etc. Um, do we, I mean, were there, were there leaders of opposition who were, frankly, sort of borderline vaudeville characters or Gilbert O'Sullivan characters or, you know, shouldn't have really been there but were, were damn entertaining all the same? <laughs> well, there's plenty who probably shouldn't have been there. Um, you know, there, there, there did seem to be a period during the 19th century where, particularly in the House of Lords, where, you know, you have a leader of the opposition in the Commons and you also have a leader of the opposition in the, uh, in the House of Lords. But, um, you have various uh, times when sort of random aristocrats just sort of get, um, press ganged into doing the job because no one else wants to do it. Um, and so you have sort of, you know, um, you know, Viscount Althorpe, you know, who's the, the future Earl Spencer is just sort of asked, you know, will you go and do this? Oh, oh fair enough if, if my party demands it of me uh, and they actually mean it you know they genuinely didn't want to do it they'd far rather be sort of up, up, up you know on the grouse Hunt, more, hunting or, yes hunting you know chasing exactly some, or, some animal through across the yeah. state yeah and and several of them actually you know had much much more of a reputation as um uh as sort of um horse racing experts you know as sort of uh, horse owners um and that kind of thing or you know farmers or whatever so um you know they there was a period when they were sort of you know dragged into it and shouldn't really be doing doing the job but no one else wanted to do it um but yeah there's some very colorful characters i mean i've i've got some some favorites as well um uh, one who glories uh, in the the nickname of hearty tarty um oh, we like was, that it's <laughs> a fashion brand or, or a dessert by the end of the week, I'll eat them and <laughs> It's my favourite nickname. He was uh, the Marquis of Hartington, um, and uh, yeah, he had a he had a quite colourful private life, um, but also quite a fun character. Um, and there are others as well um, who I, I think, for for, for less um, amusing reasons, um, William Harcourt, uh, who was you know a great Victorian statesman. He was uh, Home Secretary. He was Chancellor of the Exchequer, um, and he served very very briefly as leader of the opposition in the Commons. After that, um, when again he was. Was sort of one of the last man standing uh, after an election, but um, but you know he was uh, in, in researching his his life and career. He was a pretty dreadful man. He was an awful bully. He had a dreadful temper. Um, even the private secretaries who sort of liked him and were trying to defend him conceded that he could have tantrums like a toddler. Um, and you know, it just it, I just something sort of triggered me about that because I think you know anyone who's worked in politics uh, as I have will know the kind of signs that there are characters there who um who definitely shouldn't be there um mm. and 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 behave in sort of uh very sort of uh very bullying? unacceptable ways bullying in the house um, of commons i mean that's that's surely been eradicated by now it's Nigel. an extraordinary it's an extraordinary thought <laughs> isn't it <laughs> but but it, it, it has been in the news you know in recent years and it's very true you know there are people who are drawn to politics sadly who you know have particular sort of character traits and that's one of them and and william harcourt it seemed to me even the people who were being quite uh complimentary about his 
his uh, about his skills as a statesman and a, and a politician conceded that he had this dreadful temper. Um, so I took against him. But yeah, there's lots of colourful characters. Charles James Fox, I say, the very first one that I've put in in the book. There, uh, he was uh, in opposition for 22 years, um, and I think he's the the one who kind of uh, established the role. Um, as with everything in British politics, these roles sort of are never invented. They kind of evolve. Um, but he, I think, by being in opposition for such a long time and being such a, a big character, um, sort of solidified the role of, of being leader of the opposition. Um, but of course, you know, he was drinking and gambling uh, and womanizing his way across London with the, the then Prince of Wales, who went on to be the Prince Regent and, and George the Fourth. And so it's very unusual that you have a character like him who actually is better known than some of the people who've been prime minister. Um, and so, you know, he would have been prime minister had the Prince Regent um, taken over uh, about sort of, you know, 10 or 15 years earlier um, during the, the first sort of regency crisis with George III. Um, but he didn't. And as I say, the, the big reason that he didn't was because George III hated him. Mm. And the part, part of the reason that George III hated him was because he thought he was a bad influence on his son. So, you know, in that sense, his private life actually had a material effect on the reason that he didn't become prime minister fascinating who in your opinion then was the the one that we should have had leader of the opposition you think who would have stepped into those shoes uh with the gravitas or just the good luck that 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 that, that it deserves Mm. well i mean we've talked about uh, you mentioned earlier sort of john smith and and people like that who uh you know who were acknowledged as being sort of great prime ministers we never had. Um, I think Hugh Gates School would have been very interesting, um, who was the, the Labour leader um, from 1955 through to 63 when he died. Um, and of course, his death led to Harold Wilson becoming leader of the Labour Party and then prime minister. But just just like with John Smith, it was very much expected the Labour Party was going to probably win the next election. Um, and Gates School, I think, is a fascinating character, mainly because, you know, he he had a, a huge row with the party. He was, I think, a sort of a, a forerunner of Blair in that regard, in the fact that he recognised the party needed to change its appeal. He recognised that they had to uh, to change uh, some of their fundamentals. He was the first person uh, to try to change Clause 4, um, you know, unsuccessfully. But he did a, a you know, a, a, a massive sort of uh, attempt at, at um, modernization and um, and he i think is someone who it would have been fascinating to see what he would have done and how the the history of the 1960s would have been different uh, if he had um i say in the book there's sort of you know around that period of time we have a a series of events that kind of changed the course of history we we've, we've got the death of uh, of gate school uh, which brings in harold wilson as as prime minister um we've also got um people always forget this one that Harold Macmillan, who of course was, you know, as Super Mac, this great sort of conservative prime minister for six years, he resigned because he thought he was dying. Um, he, he thought he had prostate uh, cancer. Um, turned out that he didn't, and he he lived for a, you know another twenty years. Um, but at the time, he he stood down, and that was what provoked the leadership election or the the, the leadership contest, as it was, um, for um, the Earl of Hume, Alec Douglas Hume, to become leader. And of course, he then went on to lose the election. But it's a fascinating speculation whether or not um, if you had an election in 64 between Gate School uh, and Macmillan, uh, who would have won that one? And we'll never know. But it's, it, you know, you've got that happening in the UK. And at the same time, of course, in the United States in 63, uh, you've got the uh, the death of Kennedy, yeah. uh, the assassination of Kennedy. So, you know, it, on both sides of the Atlantic, you have these sort of, you know, 
um, these celestial interventions or, you know, divine intervention, which sort of changes the course of political history. Um, and it, it really sort of, you know, underscores the lesson the overall lesson of the book for me, which is that it, it, you know, we'd like to think in politics that it's all about our talents and abilities and, uh, and how good and, uh, and, uh, dedicated we are to, to the job. Um, but actually it comes down to just the sort of fickle finger of fate. It comes down to, to sort of, uh, you know, uh, a, a bit of good luck, uh, or bad luck, um, and just the course of events and, so many times we see either whether it's a personal issue, whether it's uh, health, you know, death, whether it's, you know, some kind of uh, other issue um, or just a personality clash, you know, between someone who doesn't like each other. These things really matter in politics because they can change who actually succeeds and who doesn't. And a lot of the time it's really unfair. The book is called The Not Quite Prime Ministers, Leaders of the Opposition, 1783 to 2020. It's by Nigel Fletcher, who we're speaking to today. Nigel, if people want to, to find out more about you or about the book, where can they find you in the nicest possible way? <laughs> uh, well, the easiest way is probably go to my website, which is uh, nigelfletcher.org, uh, and you can find all of my social links on there. I have to say, the social media platforms seem to be multiplying sort of exponentially uh, at the moment. So there's a whole range of oh. sort of, uh, whether it's Twitter or X or whatever they're calling themselves or Facebook and whatever. Um, the, the publisher very kindly has, uh, has sort of got me onto TikTok recently oh, as well, really? which I'm. I, now, I mean, I'm completely uh, mystified by that, but, uh, you know, it, it's what the youth want. So, is it, is it really? Uh, well, the young folks. Now, imagine apparently that, so. Leaders of the opposition on TikTok. That would be amazing. Yeah, That would be amazing. I think we have to pitch them some ideas about sort of, you know, how, how we could sort of uh, get um, Charles James Fox and George Ponsonby uh, kind of, you know... <laughs> Connect them to the next generation. I can, I, I can <laughs> see it now, Sarah and Daniel Ballyhounds, etc. The book is called Not Quite Prime Ministers. Sorry, the TikTok still got me. Uh, Not Quite Prime Ministers. Uh, it is by Nigel Fletcher. Nigel, once again, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for having me.